So what I want you to do this morning is to just think in your hearts and in your heads a little bit this morning. Do you have a memory of a, of a promise to you that was either kept or broken or both? I just find as I talk with people, both promises kept or broken can stir up a lot of stuff, negative or positive in your life. Sometimes we just have to, you know, push the last button on the blender, you know, just blow it up, you know, and, and get, it, get it stirred up. So just, just a little bit of that this morning by a promise kept or broken. And how that, what, what that did with you. And as you're thinking about that, I'm going to read the whole verse that we've been studying over the last uh, four weeks. And, and then I want to get the last part of the last verse, which we're going to focus on this morning. So, verse 16, 28 of Matthew says, Then... The eleven disciples went to Galilee to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. So they, wow, they obeyed him. They remembered all the other stuff that got in the way. They were there. When they saw him, they worshipped him. It's the Lord. Saw the nail scars, all of that. But then as we kind of made a big deal of a few weeks ago, but some doubted. We can be obedient. We can be worshipping God. But somewhere, teeny tiny little place in our brain. A little bit of doubt can ruin everything, right? So we talked about doubt and how God uses that as a way of transforming it into, into faith. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority on heaven and earth has been given to me. It's the authority of Jesus. If God is God, if Jesus is anywhere, if he's, if he's half of what he's saying he is, this, this should rock our world. The authority of Jesus is alive and well. Therefore, go, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them. Got to find out where I am. I'm memorizing or I'm just saying stuff. Okay, teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. So this is it. This, this make disciples. In fact, go make is one we, we found out last week in the, in, in the Aramaic and then translated into the Greek. Go make is one word. And disciples is not something that you whoop, got them all discipled up. It's continuing to learn. A real disciple says, I want to know more. I, do, I, do I have to go to church? Versus I get to go to church and be a disciple. I get, I get some more of this great stuff that's transforming my life. And then teaching them everything else that I command you. And then here's the line for this morning, and surely I'm always with you, even to the end of the age. And surely I'm with you, even always until the end of the age. I'm just tempted here. Someone said, Jesus, don't call me Shirley. Oh. Really did Till the end of the age, Jesus promises, I will be with you. That's the key right here. This last verse is an awesome promise. Jesus is promising his presence without limits. Okay, I just want you to think about that for a minute. Jesus' 
presence without limits. That is your possession. The gift of God. That, that's, that's it. It's in the books. It's there. So this morning as we, as, as we study, I just want you to take these words again and again, and surely I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. Just, just think of Jesus saying that to you, personally. I mean, you could just apply that to whatever you're not looking forward to in the next 24 hours or the next seven days. I am with you. And then... This is what we're going to learn this morning. We know the power of the promise because first and foremost, it motivates us. It inspires us. Okay? It it draws us to Jesus. Because a promise is first and foremost an invitation. And anytime we open an invitation, we do that with excitement. Woo! This is for me. This is special. I'm included. I'm chosen. I'm invited. I'm invited to to something, and I anticipate something really good, uh, and and that goes for all invitations, uh, unless it's a a, a, a jury uh, or a summons to jury duty. That's that's not fun, right? But everything else is this invitation. I am with you to the end. It is a motivating invitation, but it's also a vision. Because Jesus says, I'm inviting you to a preferred future for you. And what's really cool about the vision of God is it's always moving in front. So here's the vision of God, and here's us, and we just can't get to it, right? It's always, God is so big, and you are so loved by God. That he's moving the goalposts and constantly saying, I've got something better for you. I've got something that that creates. And and so Jesus' presence calls us to follow him. Not just by example. And not just for him, but with him. I, I, I can only believe that the disciples, this is three years later, who dropped everything when Jesus came along. And, and they might have known Jesus kind of socially. Some folks believe that some of these apostles are, are even related to Jesus. But small town, you know, in, in, in the Galilee, small towns back there, people ran into each other. And three years later, all those disciples are standing there, not all of them, 11 of them, are standing there with Jesus. And, and they, they've got to be thinking back to the first time that Jesus said, they'd run into Jesus, and done, but he said, follow me, I will make you fishers of men. And it says, they just like dropped their nets. One says, uh, uh, James and, and John left their father in the boat with the work. It said, see you dad, I'm following this guy. Something incredible is happening where if we would remember that scene and just know in your heart you are chosen like that. (gasps) Do I have to give up? No, 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 no. You don't have to give up anything. You get to. What is standing in the way of moving forward and getting closer to that vision? What is is the invitation and the vision that could motivate a 
beautiful transformation in our lives. We know the power of the promise because a promise encourages. You see, when we face discouragement, difficult times, we're, 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 we're spending work, time, energy, resources, and it's not going well, and we're kind of, you know, the, the promise... The promise of God reminds us that we're in the middle of something. We're not at the end of it yet. Okay? So, so I, I could be stuck in need of understanding that the promise before me is His encouragement. Until we get to the very, 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 very end of our days. And then God says, by the way, my son, my daughter, I know you're not long for this life, but eternal life is around the corner. Wow. There is just a vision that hangs so clearly of encouragement. But then, we're also tempted people, right? When we face temptation, and we're distracted from our task, we, we resist obedience. Because we're just, we're kind of in one of those places, like, gosh, I'm, I've been a good Christian all day. I'm tired of this. That's just, by the way, that's just an indication that you've been, you have been good indeed, but you've been holding your breath, clenching your teeth, flexing your muscles, and you've been doing it without the help of God. God's saying, I want you to let me, let my goodness, boy, listen to these songs we're singing. Let God's goodness do this. It's all surrender. None of this is spiritual accomplishment. I, I know that I stand before a group of people that are accomplished in all kinds of things in terms of business and, and all of that and, 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 and gained things. But you know in heaven, the asphalt that they use with the roads is gold. Do you know that our resumes and everything that we think we are is nothing in heaven? All of our appointments and all of our stuff. And God says, I, 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 I'm, I'm telling you, 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 could, you, this temptation to get all of this going, you can let that go. You can start letting that go. Try kindness. <laughs> Try patience. Try humility. Those are the fruits of the Spirit. No one can fake those. At least not for very long. And then failure. Just add that on top of everything. Jesus was seen in his day, at least for 72 hours, as the, the most tremendous failure that had ever walked the, the planet because he had promised so much and it had come down to this and they had him stuck in a hole with a big old rock in front of it that no one could move. Oh man, what, what, what three days can do in the life of someone who came to earth faithfully leaving their godhood behind, trusting in the Father so we could see that as God trusted the Father, we can now walk the earth trusting Jesus and do the same crazy cool stuff. Wow. But that happens through humility. It doesn't happen through accomplishment. Our resume and our accumulated stuff, our piles of toys, will not mean anything. 
until we get to this. The encouragement of the promise is that we're supposed to be discouraged. We're, we're supposed to follow in temptation, and we're supposed to hit failure, and that our expected results of how things should be are, are, are fruitless, and no one's getting it right, so that we can surrender that. You see, Jesus' presence comes alongside us in these moments. He can hardly wait for our next discouragement, temptation, or failure. I know you're thinking I'm crazy here. I'm going to back this up with some Bible here in a minute. But I just want you to feel this. Jesus is saying, I know how you feel. I felt all those things. Discouragement, temptation, and failure. And I feel them in you because I love you when you walk through them even though I'm in heaven now. I feel every bit of it in you. Because I am alongside of you. I am with you. Uh, great believers and servants have quit what we're talking about this morning because they became discouraged, tempted, or they had failed. The writer of Hebrews simply says this, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but we have one who has been tempted in every way. I just, I would circle that. Jesus tempted in every way. There's no rating on that. There's no, oh, you know, God wouldn't do that in church. In every way. Just as we are. Yet without sin, let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence. This is the, the, the promise of encouragement so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. And by the way, if you get too much mercy and too much grace in your time of need, then help the person sitting next to you with your abundance. Right? There's something going on here. We know the power of promise because promise motivates, promise encourages, and promise confirms. It enables us to say yes when the promise is kept. Let's say everything goes over the falls, the, the way we didn't want it to happen, but somehow the way God wants it. We continue to say yes in spite of those things. You see, the confirmation of this promise, and surely I am with you always until the very end of the age, confirms our risk. You may be challenged this week to do or say something that identifies you with Jesus or His church in some way that is a little uncomfortable for you. That would... Con that, that, that would call us then to, to do something supernatural beyond what we could naturally pull off, even if we love Jesus with all of our heart, soul, and mind and our neighbor as ourselves. And it confirms that when we take that risk and the promise is kept. A promise confirms our work or the putting forth of our effort and our resources. 
And, and we almost always do that. Almost always do that. Without any guarantee of the outcome. And the promise faithfully comes through because God was with us. We may not be getting our way. You know, the, 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 the doctor's phone call you know, at the end of the week may not be what I wanted to hear, but is God there? Well, is He? Yeah. Hmm. And, and it confirms our faith that trusting in something that may look foolish to those even inside the church, but certainly of those in the world, is what it's all about. For the for Jesus' presence affirms our obedience to Him. It doesn't affirm that what we obeyed to get turned out. See, we're always kind of tit for tat. If I, if I, then God. Or if God, then I. So we've learned all that in, the, in the, you know, the university of the world. But Jesus turns the, the upside down God. I, I love this, you know. And knows what he's doing. He, he, lived, he lived our life. In fact, I would suggest that he lived our lives in ways that we, we've never even calculated when you can think that in the prime of his life when he should have really enjoyed everything and, and thought about the fruits of his, of his labors and, and you know, how he would go into you know, a more mature age and, and, and play with his children and grandchildren. All, all that was cut from him. At the ripe old age of 33. Wow. Jesus seriously understands what we so often think God isn't understanding when, when, when we're having, when we're, when we're needing encouragement, we're up at discouragement, temptation, and failure. But you get down to, down to God, Jesus' presence affirms our obedience regardless of the outcast, outcome. His presence and nothing else is what matters. I want to go as, as far as to say this this morning. The Great Commission has one main objective. And it is not about our expected results and outcomes. It's not about our calculations. It's not about where we'll end up at some point. I mean, it's kind of about that. Because, you know, we're going to end up out here, you know, in heaven. We, we know that. But it's not, our, it's not our other calculations. Much of what we do and think or we're trying to do is not what Jesus is after. You know? Programs and, 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 and budgets and buildings and projects and, and, and you know, conversion growth and all of those things. What Jesus is really all about, what the Great Commission sets the apostles up to do. It's about drawing the church and the world into a growing relationship with Jesus. And then they write the Bible. They start churches. They change uh, thousands of years of pagan culture in 300 years. And the next thing you know, the Mediterranean is becoming Christian instead of pagan. All that stuff happens. But that's, it doesn't happen as, that, that's a byproduct. Can you imagine that? 
It's a byproduct of people surrendering everything to a relationship with Jesus which causes us to be like Jesus. Instead of become the people that we often are when we're trying to get something done and no one's listening. And we're not being like Jesus. You know, the, the, the wonderful parable, you know, where the, 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 the religious people, Jesus said, those who, those who fed me and clothed me and visited me in prison and the, the religious people all busy about their budgets and building bigger parking lots to get everyone in and all of that said, well, when did we see you do that? He said, when you did it to the least of these, when you were kind, when, when you were patient. When, when, when you were faithful. And of course the saints, they said the same thing. Well, we, we, we didn't see you do that. He goes, yes you did, because you were in the prisons. You went to the hospitals. You were kind to people. You didn't let your overarching agenda crash into your character and, and become angry Christians holding the world hostage and resenting every bit of it. flung we fall you see Jesus' vision looks more like this for I am convinced that neither death nor life neither angels nor demons neither presence nor future nor powers nor heights nor depths nor anything in all creation will be able to separate me from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus and as long as I'm not separated from that love guess what I'm loving Gail loving my kids and my grandkids and I'm loving you regardless of how any of you guys are in bed, oh, oh, uh, acting. You just do that because you're loved by God. And that's the most important thing. And then all that other cool stuff happens too. Or try this, Hebrews, we've been talking about this uh, the last couple weeks. Uh, Never will I leave you or forsake you. We can say with confidence, the Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. What can man do to me? Fear comes from the natural instinct to protect what we've got. Because no one's protecting it for us. And if what we got can just simply go because God's got us, that's when fear and the church and the things we're doing evaporates and that's where the fruits of the Spirit glow. Or, or this, my favorite verse of all, John 10.10, 10, the thief comes to steal, kill, kill, and destroy. I have come that they might have life and they might have abundantly. I am the good shepherd. Man, I'm, I'm somewhere, you know, two, two days uh, you know, from Sunday and five days till Sunday listening to the thief. And I'm wondering why I'm cranky. You know what the elephant in the room is? This is kind of fun. A friend of mine wrote this amazing article a few weeks ago. And so I've paraphrased just a little of it. The elephant in the room is always the thing that everyone knows but no one can talk about. I just thought I would warm us up for the holidays. 
you know, family or whatever it is, that the elephant in the room is the uncomfortable thing that no one will risk the, to painfully deal with it. We've heard of this. But what if God, just, just, you know, I love to flip things around. What if God is the positive elephant in the room? Ooh, think of that. Think of the possibility. What if God remains hidden from us because of our fear and anxiety, our doubt, our uncertainty, our concerns? Is it possible that God's unconditional love, presence, and caring intimacy is so close that we miss it or even forget that God is right here, right now? Because he's just so present that, you know, I'd love to see the forest, but someone stuck too many trees in front of me. See? We understand. I don't doubt for a moment that most of us, if not all of us in the room, understand the loving presence of God, at least principally, intellectually, and theologically. But can we see God 24-7? When we get the unwanted phone call after 12.30 at night. When a trusted friend, brother, or sister hurts us deeply. When the medical profession professional on the other end of the phone says something we don't want to hear. Do we see God? 24-7. You see, our God, the positive elephant in the room, is a profound mystery to us. God's name is not just, I am who I am, but I am who is for you. I am who is with you. I am who goes with you on your journey. I am love. I am love. I am with you. I am for you. I am who I am. Wow. At the end of the day, or at the end of Matthew, this is the call that God brings to us and says, I am all of that and even more. Trust me, my children. Walk with me. Let me walk with you. 